Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for our coverage of Steins Gate. Today we're going to be doing episodes 9 and 10. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. And I'm Tanya. And today is an emergency recording session because one of our hosts, who will not be named, has had a baby. A spawn. Oh. Now, we won't reveal any more information than that because we do not want to invade this baby's privacy and we do want to uh, respect Ben's wishes, but we're sure he'll be back soon for another episode, but he's going to have a lot of sleepless nights. So we're going to we're going to take it easy on him for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but this is our our plan for expanding the podcast. Yeah, we're just going to have a rotating stable of hosts. Mm-hmm. Maybe there'll be a time when none of uh, the the original three will be on, and we'll just have Tanya it'll, hosting things. It'll be me and Ben's new baby. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Pod babies. We yeah. keep having yeah. podcast babies. They're gonna be nepo podcast babies. This is how it starts. Ooh, a podcast dynasty. See, I've been thinking too small. Yeah, you gotta expand. Yeah. Okay. Get us together. <laughs> uh, this is kind of impromptu. So, is, is there anything new with any of us? Uh, uh, Tanya's not here as a guest. She's here as a guest host, which sounds like the what's same this? thing. Yeah, but excuse me, host is in that okay. title. Oh, yep, so yep, yep, yep. that's the difference. So, do I get a pay raise? Is that what? Yes, you okay. will get a pay raise. One whole pizza. Yep, one whole pizza. <laughs> Tonight will be extra good pizza night. Um, but yeah, is there anything going on with us? It's okay if there's not. Hmm. Is there anything time travel oriented? Oh. we. So Tanya and I went to Disneyland for the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a literal time travel thing, but we did take her emotional self back to 12 years old when she really wanted her parents to take her to Disneyland. So, yeah, so I've been a child all week. So, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, that's awesome. It's like one of those milestone events. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. Big Mayuri vibes off this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I I did not almost cry when we saw Jack Skellington in <laughs> the Haunted Mansion and they said hello to us. Oh, what was your favorite thing? Was that it? Oh, the Haunted Mansion was amazing because like, I mean, I've, I've never been there, so I don't know what the default setting for the Haunted Mansion is. But right now it is all Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. super cool. And then there was a surprising ride that we went on. And it was like a Mickey and Minnie runway train ride. Oh. They start, you like go through the, like the, all the line is all indoor. And then you go to like this main room and it just starts showing you like a Mickey and Minnie short. Yeah, it's just and a I, little theater. And I was like, oh, cool. So it's not actually a ride. It's just like a little, it's just a little short. And then the screen explodes and you walk through the screen and then it's a whole ass ride. And it's really cool because it's got mixed media and like it's it was very surprising. Yeah. Oh, that is wild. And we had a similar experience. We also went to uh, Universal Universal because they had like a haunted horror night. Mm -hmm. um, And I had never been to something like that. So Tanya very much wanted to bring me to that because that's my that's my jam. I used to go to those all the time before the pandemic. And they had a haunted tram ride. We were like, oh, well, we've been walking around for six hours. We'll take a break. We can sit for a second. And and we thought like, oh, actors will like run up to the thing and we'll see scary scenes in the distance. No, 
the tram ride stops, you know, three minutes into the ride. And they're like, oh, the tram's broken down. You're going to have to walk from here. And it just complete surprise turns into like three more little horror houses that you walk through. And one section. Yeah. And one section of it was an entire Jordan Peele horror section. Yeah. Oh my God. No way. Stuff from us. There was stuff from Get Out. There was stuff from Nope. And I was like, did not it like there was no part of me ever because it's not advertised. Because like the the tram ride is just called like Tram of Terror. Mm -hmm. And there's no and there was no wait for it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this will be a lame, like little whatever, but we can sit. And then it was like, surprise, you're in Jordan Peele land and there's some creepy people with scissors running after you yeah oh my god yeah Jordan Peele movies are like intense oh, yeah we rewatched us last night it's so good oh my gosh so did I I watched that this week <gasps> oh I love that movie so much it's wild isn't it yeah uh so that was probably the best part of the Jordan Peele section was just all of these people in not like crazy makeup, just in those red jumpsuits with pairs of scissors, just oh like wandering gosh. around. And eventually when you like get to the end of the little town, because the little town is the fake Western town from the movie Note. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. And so when you get to the end of the town, all of the like us characters start lining up and holding hands like they do in the like hands across America part of the movie. Oh my God. It was so cool. And there was like one girl on a porch with a teacup and a teaspoon just screaming get out the whole time it was great it was it was really good uh well that that concludes our paid promotion for uh (laughs) disney and universal (laughs) studios what about you you've been watching horror movies you watched nope anything new anything amazing um i had like a list of some modern horror people were telling me to go through Mm. and i watched x and barbarian oh barbarian yeah orphan Gosh, I can't remember now. I've been watching one horror movie every night uh, for October. <gasps> that's what we try to do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah we've kind of fallen behind because we were out of town. But uh, uh, yeah, so was there was there one standout? Well, I mean, X had very interesting cinematography. Really? And then Barbarian was not at all what I was expecting. It was a very surprising movie. Malignant was very strange. (laughs) Malignant is more of a comedy. Yeah. It was was wacky. It was wacky. Um, Have you you seen Orphan? Is that that kind of older? Is that about the girl that, like, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, yeah. But it's about the orphan that gets adopted. But Mm, yeah, okay. uh And it's kind of loosely based on a true story. Yes, I just found that out. That's so messed up. It's really weird. (laughs) It's creepy. Oh, we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I had never seen either of them. And gosh, very, very different films. Same creator. The second one is bonkers. Yes. Dennis Hopper is in it. And he's just angry (gasps) the whole time. (laughs) Dennis Hopper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The second one is almost Gremlins 2. It's almost like a movie about why sequels are bad. Yeah. Okay. That was really good. Um, I recommend it. Yeah. So last night I watched Planet Terror. Oh, the it was a double feature thing, the grindhouse thing, right? Yeah. It's, was that the one that Romero did, or was it the one that Tarantino? Rodriguez. Did? Oh, Rodriguez. Sorry. I think that's the one Rodriguez okay. did. Because Tarantino did Death Proof. Death Proof. Yeah. Yeah. It was very grindhousey. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Lived up to its name. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Bruce Willis in that? Superman? Yes, he okay. is. A twist was it was Bruce Willis in a hairpiece the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. 
it it uh, had homage to so many different things, but like the Bruce Willis thing reminded me. There's a Asian kind of horror movie called Ricky O, mm. where like people like Hulk out and it's like body horror mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Man, we should watch Ricky O if you've ever seen it. I don't think I have. It's one of the yes. like schlockiest, goriest films I've ever seen. It's like one guy inside a prison, and so he's got to like revenge somebody and he just punches people to death it's great yeah you gotta revenge yeah like was he a superhero or something he like punches through people's bodies and shit (laughs) it's weird yeah i think he's just supposed to be like martial arts magic but yeah there's Mm -hmm. he's definitely got some mystical aspects to him like the show that we're about to watch uh Mm -hmm. i know it's sci-fi but i'm still not convinced that Mayuri isn't the reason why things work because she has this mystical reaching towards the stars kind of a a, a feeling to her or this specific gesture she does. I'm hoping that in these next two episodes, maybe we find something out about what's magical about Mayuri. I I don't know. Again, like we haven't watched the episode. I mean, right the second we're not talking about the episodes, but like I, you know, so far a lot of people are getting to send a text message and I want to see what her text message is. If she gets the chance to send a text message, I want to know what hers is. Okay, everybody gets a wish. So what's hers? Mm. Last time on Gender, Friendship, and Time Travel, the Future Gadget Lab came up with a new plan. In order to prove the existence of time travel and not just Okabe's delusions, they settled on the quantifiable and never disappointing results of a get-rich-quick scheme. Okabe sent a D-mail to Ruka, instructing her to buy a lottery ticket, but due to the stubborn consistency of reality, or perhaps Ruka's own dyslexia, the lotto winnings were nowhere to be found. Though the scheme was a failure, the experiment was a success. Okabe experienced the same sensation he had before the last successful D-mail and proved to himself that though he had hopped world lines, his memory of the previous world remained. With this confirmation and some encouragement from Titer, Okabe attempted to explain the world line jump to Daru and Makise, along with his not-so-theoretical reading Steiner ability. Reclusive lab member 005 Shining Finger Moika requested the next turn at tampering with the past erasing herself from the memory of all but Okabe. Then, Sword and Exorcism Divine Priestess in training Ruka requested her turn. After being dressed up and cosplayed by Mayuri, Ruka confessed her wish to be born a girl to the group, effectively shattering her egg. The group then figured out how to demail Ruka's mother on a piece of ancient technology called a pager. With great anticipation, Ruka sent the demail and Okabe shifted world lines once more. This time though, nothing immediately seemed amiss. What has changed? Who will ask for their turn next? Will the FGL put some controls and restraints on their increasingly dangerous experiments? Let's find out. <laughs> All right. Okay, if we are ready and queued up, mm. uh, uh, do you want to do the countdown since you're Ben, or do you want to let Blixit? Okay, Blixit, can you give us a countdown whenever you're ready? Sure. Three, two, one, play. Who knew messing with the past could have huge results? So <laughs> fucking weird. Here's the butterfly Ben was asking for. Yeah. But this isn't symbolic. There's literally a cosmic butterfly. It's like Prismo from Adventure Time, yeah. but it's a butterfly. <laughs> what was Moeka's message? Oh, I don't, I don't think, think we, we saw it. Yeah, I don't think we knew what it was. But all of a sudden after she sent it, she didn't exist to them anymore. Yeah. But now we've sent Ruka's. After that. And so that changed things again. So now they do know her, but not on the same level. Right. What do you think this broken glass imagery is about? 
Oh, it's an hourglass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Mm-hmm. So I do dig the symbolism in this episode. Specifically, I really like that. I think this is like a turning point episode where Okabe starts to grow up a little bit and he's like, oh, the like what we're doing has real consequences even him letting Ferris send the D-mail is in service of like, oh, I got to get the 5100 back. He's just laser focused on that. And so when he realizes the change, it's like this wake up moment for him. He's like, oh, we could send a D-mail and I could not exist or something like that. Um, and of course, the place that this happens is the tower, right? Mm-hmm. They go up to the top of this tower. And they come back from it forever changed. I love it. It just took him so long to catch on to that. Though. Yeah, like, it did take him long to catch on to it. It's just like, you know. But these... we're about halfway through the series. So this right. is the point at which it's going to happen. Sorry, go ahead. And we can talk about him being a mad scientist and chaos science and blah, 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 blah. But like, I feel like, you know, when, what's her face? SF, Salad Fingers. <laughs> salad Fingers Moeket. Yeah. When she sent hers and she disappeared in the minds of everyone but him. To me, that would have been like, if I hadn't caught on to how real this was. Oh, we may have deleted mm. someone from existence. Yes. But like, he's like, Mah, it's fine. I totally agree. And you are a very different person than Okaba. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we've established that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a real turning point. This is episode nine. There are 24 episodes, I think. And so we're not quite at halfway. Uh, uh, this is a three-parter, uh, uh, or at least they are named Chaos Theory, Homeostasis 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. This is number two. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a, like, these three episodes are the first major turning point for him. Yeah. Um, a little disappointing that Ruka, uh, Ruka sent her text message, and then we stray away from that for at least an episode. We're like, oh, that's on hold. And I'm like, but I'm so invested in that character. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, I think, like, at the end of that last episode there was a little bit where he was like he was looking at her and he was like did it work mm-hmm. i don't know yeah and we're just oh, gonna God. put that all on hold for an episode yeah. if i was watching this week to week i would be right. very upset yeah. but it's still invested enough that i was like i gotta see what happens to ruka yeah. uh i guess what this episode makes me think of is people with too much power mm. and making very consequential decisions um that they are not should not be making yeah yeah, because uh, like Ogabe should understand that if he's the one giving the okay for these D-mails to be sent, that he is wielding unbridled power. But we have him juxtaposed against Ferris, who we learn is super rich, maybe like the richest person in Akihabara. And she says, like, my family built this town, mm-hmm. like, which is a little bit of foreshadowing before she sends her D-mail, because like once she sends it, the town is completely changed. Because ostensibly she asked for her father to be around more often or whatever, because she clearly misses her father and her father is the businessman. And so they're still rich because they're still in that penthouse. But like the town is forever changed. And uh, we realize in this episode that she's the one that kind of created the maid cafe and that whole system probably because she was bored and she needed an outlet and she needed attention. And so this is how she got it. And like, I know, I know we have issues with her because she's born rich or whatever, but like good for her for creating an entire like subculture in a town 
I think it was kind of cool that she did all that. Sure. I'm I'm against her because she's rich, but like, so she did all of this stuff. She made the maid cafe and made essentially she made anime culture popular, right? In Akihabara. And like I like that framing because we're watching an anime. Yeah. Right. So like mm-hmm. as an anime fan, especially one who's like entrenched in the culture, maybe even lives near Akihabara, like that would be like a nightmare, right? Like your whole fan culture is just gone. Well, she just did this to herself. Like it's a tragedy for all the people who just lost all of their own culture or subculture, you know, anime and that. But like she gets her dad back. But in order to do it, she had to sacrifice her own identity. But she's she's no longer the trendsetter in town. It feels like she's happy to do it, though. Well, because she has no memory. Right, exactly. When once her dad is back, she doesn't know that she was this trendsetter. Right. And I I also, on this one, uh, there's kind of a mirror between her and I forget everybody's names, Mary. Because Mary is truly and authentically bubbly and like do do and says all of the mm-hmm. little things and then ferris when she's there talking to them she starts to put on the affectations of and like mm-hmm. being really cute but hers is disingenuous her cuteness is a front and a mask and whatever and it's just really cool to have the two girls side by side where miuri is authentically cute and bubbly and ferris is manipulatively cute and bubbly mm-hmm. um, this is how i get my way why don't we say she's performatively? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what's what's the difference between these two people? One of them is working class and one of them is owner. Yeah. Literally, they're on that divide. Ferris is Mayuri's employer. Yeah. They, they're both wearing the uniform, but only one of them has to do it to survive right. or to maintain a certain lifestyle. Right. Ferris could let the maid cafe run and, and live in the penthouse. Yeah, yeah. So I'm now vehemently anti-Ferris. What? She's a rich person. She's the problem. Her father's rich. Oh my gosh. Before she breaks her, maybe her father's the problem now, but before she brought her father back, she was the richest person in Akihabara. It wasn't her father's penthouse. It was her penthouse. Oh, I thought it was her father. What? Her father is dead, isn't he? She brought no. him back to life, right? No, I thought she just wanted, no. I thought he was just extremely busy with business and she like wished that he would be around more. I didn't think that he was dead. Yeah. Oh, I assumed he was dead. No, no I, he wasn't dead. No, I think that he's just typical business father and is gone all the time and left yeah. her in this penthouse to kind of fend for herself. And so she created this whatever. Okay, well, th- okay, fine. This still just... remains to be seen, but- right. Ferris and or her father are part of the problem. Right. And I think that maybe maybe I have a little bit of a more sympathetic view of Ferris because she seems, in all intents and purposes, to be an only child with very busy parents. Sure. And she's left alone. And so she created this little world for herself. And I relate a lot to that. Granted, my little world didn't make me a lot of money. Well, your whole, your little world wasn't performative and manipulative. Performative, Just period. Just fine, performative. Well, well she maybe, refuses to let them know what the text message is before she sends it, which I think is no, a non-starter, but I'm not okay. It's really voiced what their text message was. Yeah, well, I guess I'm not, well, what uh, Ruka did. Yeah, um, but like, we don't know what Salad Fingers was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 
don't think that we really got to know what anybody else's was. And so why is it just we need to know what Ferris's is because she's rich? That doesn't seem fair. And like my my little world, we could say that it was performative because I got into theater and I got into all this other stuff. So like I just oh my gosh. relate to Ferris a little. I have a little bit more sympathy right? for her <laughs> than you do. And that's fine. Great. She's Let's not, she's not, my not favorite. forget that these are all kids. Yeah. She's, all these characters are kids. She's like, what, 16, 17? Oh, my gosh. She owns a maid cafe. Does she? Or is it her father's that she runs? I don't know. I haven't seen the deed. Yeah. So we're going to have to. Show me paperwork. That. And also on top of that, she is in her own right a very good gamer. She's mm-hmm. like the world champion of a card game. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can say that being rich will give you an edge on that because maybe you have the ability to buy the rarer cards or whatever, but we don't really know the ins and outs of this well, game. We do. This game is not a collectible game. It has a board and a rule set. You don't yeah. bring your own deck okay. into But then that leads to even more credence. She's a world champion in a tabletop game. You should appreciate that a little bit. I appreciate that she has the means and the time to get good at it, which a working class person would not. Some working class people do. Yes, some working class people are very lucky to have the means (laughs) and the support structure to get good at something. Um, I don't want Ferris to be dead or anything, but I'm not on Ferris's side anymore. That's fair. That's Ferris. That's Ferris. (laughs) Stop. So just because the last time I was on there was like the Matahari reference, I've been paying attention to kind of like the historical references. And so one of the things that they said at the top during the meeting where they realize that the IBN is missing or whatever is uh, they call Okabe uh, Galahad. And that was one of the nights of the round table. He was mm-hmm. Lancelot's son and his main quest was the quest for the Holy Grail. Ah, which is what I, I, I think it's just a very good little analogy of calling him Galahad. Because also Galahad was celibate, which I doesn't really necessarily play. Right, anyway. because he's searching for the grail. Yeah, you ain't he's... got time for sex when you're searching for the Holy Grail. No, I'm saying he's celibate until he finds the grail. Then you celibate. The grail is allegorical of the feminine mystique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The cup, the... No, I don't have vaginas work. Okay, all right. <laughs> how, how do vaginas work? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought it was interesting because we had the Matahari reference mm-hmm. and, it, and, and it was what's her face that called him Galahad. So he called her Matahari and she was like, well, you're Galahad. Mm-hmm. So and they're getting more playful. Yes. Like their the phone conversation was very funny to me. Yes. He he's still I'm still not on Okabe's side. I think he's still a little insufferable, but he he's getting to an inflection point where I think I will be on his side. Next episode. But he, well, yeah, he played with her, like teased her about, I guess she's into Star Trek. She made a Star Trek reference and he was like, well, I'm going to make a lot of Star Trek references. And then she got him back on the phone yeah, because he had pissed her off. And so she was like, oh, you're going to be rude. Well, I don't have to have this phone call. And he pissed her off because she was crying and having an emotional moment. Mm-hmm. and genuinely needed a friend and he was like oh i really care about you and i will listen to you and then she was like oh okay and then he was like psych yes that was no hold on now okay like defend <laughs> how emotionally intelligent were you at 19 i was better than that but i i don't i didn't have a, a fever like he did when That's he was true. a kid okay 
But there are plenty of grown ass adults yes. that think humor is the right move sometimes yeah. when someone's going through a hard time. And sometimes it is. Right. Uh, and I think he only has a very t- limited toolbox. And that's what he went to. Yeah. Okay. He's just not as funny as he thinks he is. You guys are really tough. Yeah, we're we're tough critics. I mean, hey, we're we're tough on everybody and each other. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will be careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, any more thoughts on this episode before we move on to the next episode? Um, it's 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 an interesting commentary. How much one person can change an entire city? Mm. Uh, that kind of speaks to like the power of wealth. And I still think it's just an interesting uh, analogy or whatever it is. Like Okabe is at most 19 years old and has technology that can alter reality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of humanity is still in its infancy. And we have people with a lot of power making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. So I am. I don't remember where the story is going, but I'm interested to see where it goes. I guess, okay, you guys can clear something up for me because I am a little confused. So we lost the computer, mm-hmm. but we're still able to send time travel text messages via the microwave, correct? Yes. So what is the point mm-hmm. of the computer? The computer Why are we looking for it if we can still do it? CERN's secret code. So it's kind of a separate thing. Yes. So it has nothing to do with the actual time travel manipulation thing. But it helps us learn uncover the technology and their conspiracy. Yes. Okay. Because like I was like, well, what the what is the big thing? Why are we searching for this computer then? If we can still alter the past, what is the point? Mostly because it's something that the real life, the hoax or or, or time traveler, real life John Teeter. That's it. We want to keep the show in contact with John Teeter. Do you think that's Marley's father? Yep. We had we they're had to, spelled completely differently. Yeah, because he went back into the past okay. and changed the name. Yeah, well, okay. Mm-hmm. She'll mm-hmm. be on later. Wait, Marley, the former guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her last who's, name's Teeter. Who's gonna come on again? <gasps> yep. yeah. What is it? Yeah, it is. And we can tease her about that when she's on the show. Yeah. Oh my god! Of all of our friends, Marley would absolutely be the time traveler. She's a bit like Sukiya. Yeah, she knows things. She knows things. Yeah. She doesn't trust technology. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> She knows what can happen. Her faith is in magical girls. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uses a flip phone, is far less uh, uh, recorded than the rest of us. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, wow. Okay. This is deep. Mm -hmm. The deep lore. The deep lore. (laughs) The deepest. Okay. Well, let's get on episode uh, 10, uh, Homeostasis 3. Let me cue it up. Ready whenever you are. Three, two, one, play. I, I wonder if it was like a joke that like the fandom shop was replaced by a fan shop. That is funny. <laughs> That's cute. McKee says gesture to make an apple pie was actually a really, really big deal because apples are expensive in Japan. They're imports. Mm-hmm. But Suzuha just said it wasn't very good. So what I'm imagining is that she's in America. <laughs> so she has a sweet tooth now because American food has uh-huh. way too much sugar in it. And so she just made an apple pie that was like way too sweet. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, it's nice that we end the episode in a good place. I think now that we're past the tower, I think we're going to get more like consequential things happening because we start the episode with. 
the revelations that Ferris, like things have changed, but then we get fucking Okabe assaulting Ruka, which like, I understand he's under a wrong impression. He has just switched world lines and stuff, but like, that would be inappropriate if Ruka had a penis. It's like that. inappropriate regardless. Exactly. So really makes me dislike him in this episode. But also we see in this episode the mounting comparison between Okabe and Mayuri. Like Mayuri may be a little ditzy, maybe a little, you know, like trusting in things, but is like extremely emotionally intelligent. She knows when things are wrong. She oftentimes knows the right thing to do. And so it's not, and we got in this time, the first, I think for the first time, she was like, remember when we were kids? So now we know for sure they've been friends forever. Mm-hmm. Which also is another moment in the episode that I don't like him. Oh. Where she explains her why she, because he always thinks it's so endearing that she reaches up for the sky and stuff like that. And this is where she explains like, oh yeah, you were really sick when we were kids. And so I looked up at the sky and I saw a shooting star and I wished three times that you would live. And then the next day your fever was broken. And like we talked earlier, the last episode I was on about how he likes to like, he plays into mm-hmm. a lot of people's like worldly fantasies and like goes along with it. And this is the one time where he fucking does it. And he's like, oh, no, it was science. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, she was just super cute. And like, I wished for you to live when we were children. And you you could have just played along for two fucking seconds and been like, thanks. Yeah. And also it was science. Like you, you didn't even have to negate the science. You could have just said like, well, yeah. Well, structurally, it makes me think that maybe she really is magic. Like that she really did. Her wish did break the fever because he's wrong about so many things. And if this is the case, this is the one time he doesn't play into someone's fantasy, then maybe that means that he's playing into his own fantasies. Like it was science. You know, like reality and science are not the same thing. You understand that, right? Oh, maybe this is a magical girl crossover. Maybe that was her one wish. Mayuri is Monica. To Kyube. Yeah. And uh, it was to save him. Oh my gosh. And at night, Mayuri is going out and battling witches. Yeah. And ooh. and her main cafe uniform is just like her, her magical transformation. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh my goodness. All right. Yes. Okabe was not cool mm-hmm. in that, in that, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Or both, both moments were disappointing. Yeah. But he did have a nice moment with Suzuha. Mm-hmm. Yes. And ultimately made Suzuha's day a lot better. But he's still that. recklessly sending these emails. And this time he did it without any other lab member's consent. Um, and we don't know that he made her day better. We don't know what her night was. Well, it's, she said a text message that was just goodbye. Right. But we don't know if it was goodbye because she found her father and they've decided to go off together. We don't know anything about her night. We don't know that he made it better. Okay. And like, that's kind of for me, another annoying point is because like he took it upon himself to change this girl's timeline Mm -hmm. without knowing what her night was. And like, yeah, it could have been awful. She could have gone and stood in the rain and her father could have not shown up. And she could have run away in tears and been like, I'm never coming to Tokyo again and I have to move on. We also don't know because she says very plainly, she's like, no matter what happens tonight, I have to move on. I have somewhere I have to be. Mm -hmm. That could have just been her saying something, but she could have legitimately had some important life thing that she had to do. And we don't know. He just kind of took it upon himself to make this 
wish or whatever we want to call it. Surprisingly, without any research. Mm. Weird. Uh, I will agree. Like Okabe's too fast and loose with these decisions. Mm. Um, they were friends, though. So I would assume if Suzuha had a good experience, she would have said something. Just saying goodbye feels like like a depression response. Yes. And and yes, I do. I do believe that it probably was a bad night. I do mm. believe that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just the fact that and you're right, he didn't consult any of the other lab members. Mm. And we just saw that one D message changed the entire city. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sort of at this point, he's like, Ah, we'll just embrace it. Well, it's it's a crisis <laughs> moment for him. He doesn't consult anyone. He doesn't even really consult himself in that right. moment. It is a knee-jerk response to, oh my God, I've lost this girl who I am friends with or interested in or whatever. And he's like, gotta get her back. And And we did just have the revelation, which humanizes him a bit of, I made this lab because I couldn't create friends. Mm. And so right after we have that revelation, a friend says goodbye. Mm. And he's like, got to get them back. (laughs) Friends are Pokemon and I got to get them all. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So maybe an insight into how insecure he really is. Yeah. So the other thing that's interesting about this method is that it's just information they're sending. Mm -hmm. It's a very small text. Um, And conceivably, like Suzuha, I... I assume the message was to Suzuha. Oh, like, no, I think it's to herself to tail her. Oh. To make sure okay. she doesn't get out of his sight, essentially. Because he was originally going to tail her, and then the girls were like, no, you have to come shopping with us so that we can get all the ingredients for tonight's <sighs> dinner or whatever. And he's like, I don't want to. And she was like, I will hit you with this book again. Yep. And okay. he was like, all right, fine. So he sent a message to himself that was like, ignore all of her threats. Oh, that's right. Follow her. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And I guess he figured since he was sending just a message to himself, well, I don't have to consult anybody. I'm talking to myself. Mm-hmm. What does that matter? Okay, let's let's look at the bright side. Okay. okay. At the party, Makise has also a nice moment, mm-hmm. like when the breaker gets flipped and she is laughing and she's just delighted to be a part of community. Like She's got these friends. Mm-hmm. So I think this is another, maybe it's one of the themes of the show. So we all agree. Like Okabe is a flawed character, mm-hmm. but you know, in life, this is our only option. We can only be in a relationship with flawed people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Okabe's salvation is his friends mm-hmm. hold him responsible for things. We should all be so lucky. Mm. Yeah. I do think they forgive him a little too easily for the scene in the beginning because like, they t- quote unquote tortured him for an hour and then we never bring it up again and everybody seems really cool. Yeah, and I think that's just part of the monster of, I don't like it. I'm on your side of this, but like- but we don't I have think time to go into it. Yes, the-, the, the <laughs> We gotta keep the story moving. Because this isn't an anime about that. Right. Like you could write a great anime where something like that happens and it's like the crux of the story is an event like that. But this one- we're dealing with more than that. So we kind of have to keep moving. And I guess ostensibly if, what was her name? Roku? Ruka? Ruka. Ostensibly, if Ruka has forgiven him, then the audience should forgive him too, is kind of. Sure. But there is a more important thing there that we got confirmation as the audience. That her D-mail worked. Yeah. That she got her wish. Yeah. Which is like kind of a beautiful wish fulfillment thing mm-hmm. for her. So like, 
now I'm interested to see what else is different in Ruka's life. And the, the, the bonkers thing to me about it is she made the wish and got it, but now she doesn't remember that she made a wish and got it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is, this is her life and this is what she knows. And this is how she was born or whatever. And she doesn't remember the timeline where she had to make this wish. Interesting. He's the only one that remembers it. I have had this conversation with every single one of my trans femme friends. Mm. Like if you could go back and be born as a cis woman, would you do it? And like, it's a hard question to answer because I really, really value my femininity and womanhood. And I don't know if I would value it as much as I do if I hadn't had the trans experience. That's really fair. Right. Like your compassion and the other things like, They might not be gone given that change, but they would be different. Yeah. And I I really value the perspective of like things can be more than their labels. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's such a part of me because of my trans experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's wishful thinking, you know, like it's not a reality. We don't have D-mails. We don't have a way to go back into the past and change everyone's genetics or whatever, or just the way their options growing up. But like, it is fun to think about. Like, you know, we're f- very focused on Okabe, but like that's, I'm so invested in Ruka and Mayuri. Like I'm so, I'm along for the rest of the ride, if only to see what else we can find out about them. Yeah. And we don't have to go off on this tangent yet, but I know like one of the last questions you normally ask, is there anything else you recommend? There's a lot of similarities I feel like at this point between this and Fiona and Kate. Oh, interesting. Fiona has that moment where she's like, I could make our world magical mm-hmm. but who am i to make that choice mm. who am i to say that we should change everything to make it more exciting and less mundane it will fundamentally change the character of all of my friends and while that seems cool who am i to make that choice mm-hmm. hmm. kind of the exact opposite of okabe but also Probably something that you and I relate to because of self-worth issues. Who am I to decide anything? Yeah. No, that is a good recommendation. Okay, but is there anything else in the episode we want to talk about before we go on to uh, uh, recommendations? Close out stuff. I don't think it was just all cute that they all got together and did a dinner. Mm-hmm. I liked all the, I, I liked seeing all the friendships in the kitchen and everybody being playful and the conversation that we had about like how the lab in America has way more money and is way more scientific, but everybody's like really stuffy and boring and it just isn't fun like this one is. And yeah, there's absolutely Mm -hmm. something to be said for that. Uh, I think it was a pretty good reveal. Like after Suzuha had been gone, like the satellite was gone from the radio building. Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Okay. So we should have, I guess if we were perceptive, we should have linked that together. But in the very first episode, we got a shot of someone coming out of the, or walking away from the satellite that very much, the outline was very much like Suzuha. Right. And my my original prediction way back when was like, or like a couple episodes ago was like, oh, she is someone from a different timeline because she keeps peppering in information. And then when she sent the goodbye text, he goes outside and the satellite is gone. Oh, my God, that's mm-hmm. so weird. Um, so she was looking for her father who was going by Beryl Titor. Yeah. Yeah. Is that anything? You're you know stuff about John Titor. There's no Beryl Titor. That's not like an additional yeah. person in the mythos. Okay. It's just a screen. Nothing I know of. Okay. Just barrel. 
Isn't that a Final Fantasy person? Barrett, yeah, from uh, oh, uh, Seven, yeah, is a very important character. He's a freedom fighter and a single dad. We love Barrett. <laughs> but he's not a part-time warrior. No, and thank sometimes. Uh, thankfully, he's no time traveler either. Yeah, uh, and this episode's history reference was a Norse reference, and I did not get it. I didn't catch it either. I couldn't get the, uh, I should have had subtitles on so I could search for it. I'll have to look it up again. But I, I have clocked that we have a history reference every single episode at some point. Yes. And this one was a Norse one that I just did not get the name of. The Norse reference is Audumbla, a primeval cow supped on by the primordial giant Ymir. Okay. Well, Okabe is prone to fever dreams. So he's going to see a mantis. So, oh, oh my God. God. No, we're not bringing that up. Um, there's, he theorized that that is the origin of his reading Steiner ability. Like the same thing that makes him a mad scientist is the same thing that puts him in a position to perceive these changes, right? So do we think that like the fever was, do we think that like around the time of the fever, there was some time occurrence and it was the first time that something changed? Aha! It was around the Y2K scare. When does John Titer Mm -hmm. start appearing online? Like around the 2000s? Shit, I I know this. I I should know this. (laughs) God damn it. So maybe John Titer going back to the 2000s, the aughts, is what causes... Okabe is in tune with the timeline, and so that change puts him into a terrible fever. Yeah, because he's... A, a literal child and maybe his body slash brain can't handle yeah. that sort of change yet. It was 2000. Aha! The John, yeah. The John Teeter posts emerged in 2000. Take okay. That show we're on to you. All right. Uh, crazy off the wall theory. Love it. Okabe has a fever. Mayuri is John Titer and traveled back in time to <laughs> save Okabe to close the time loop. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Again, it was mm-hmm. her magical girl wish. Yep. Yeah, anyway, so I'm very upset with Okabe's behavior, but it is balanced out with a little bit of growth in the episode. So again, this was a three-parter. We had the tower imagery. So obviously this is like a time of great trial and transformation in the show. And we're hoping that Okabe comes out the other side of it as a better person who we all really want to root for. Right. Because mm-hmm. remember, the tower card is not necessarily a bad card. Mm-hmm. Well, I will always jump on an opportunity to talk about intent and impact. Please. So I do think Okabe had a good intent. You know, his perception of reality was challenged, uh, but the impact was terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, your intent is not justified because like impact is where the consequence is. Uh, and those consequences are suffered by other people. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I do hope he does grow from this because laying hands on another person is a violation. Especially their genitals in front of yes. people. Like it's mm-hmm. not that it's okay in private, but like it's an extra embarrassing thing. And I mean, Makise does react, doesn't like grab him off of her. But I think that's more of a storytelling thing. We need him to have that moment where he goes, oh, I'm wrong. And if she just like grabs him, we maybe don't have that moment dramatically. There's still that doubt in Mm -hmm. his head. But like, I just 
Yeah. It's just to me on this, on the surface, just surface level, like the last time he, cause it was the end of the first episode, not that we covered on this, but like this three part journey mm-hmm. um, where he was like, did it work? Mm-hmm. What? And like, to me, if you have a question in your mind, then why are you going to like double down in front of a bunch of people and be like, nope, they're, they're really a boy. What are you talking about? And there's the fact that like, everybody's like shocked. And you continue to double down. Like, that's me. I'm like, what? Yeah. Read the room, my dude. Yeah. I, I will again go to the uh, the adolescence thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think I did too well when I was 19. And like having worked with teenagers for so long, they struggle with boundaries, mm. especially like other people's personal boundaries. And uh, yeah, sometimes people get fixated and they just can't deviate from their thinking even though when it's pretty clear to everyone else that they're wrong. Yeah. And he seems like somebody that like being right is sort of a personality staple of his. Kind mm. of. And so like, this was like where everybody was like, no, you're wrong. And he's like, well, I have to be right. What are you talking about? I'm a scientist. I'm uh, okay. Well, I'm very happy with this discussion. Should we, should we do our outro things? Oh. Okay. So, so our recommendation if anyone has not seen it, is season one of Fiona and Cake. I'm not really feeling like myself today. Uh, uh, which is a, an Adventure Time spinoff. And I know mm-hmm. when I hear the word spinoff, my brain just shuts off and I go, oh, it can't be very good. It's amazing. Because it's just a capitalist, you know, draw. But the show itself, it's only 10 episodes. It's all out right now. It's on HBO, HBO I think. Or any Cartoon Network thing. I'm sure you can find it there. But um, it itself is a commentary on spinoffs and canon and the the legitimacy of alternate storylines, including kind of fan fiction. So it's really fun. It's brilliantly animated. And it's real heady. Oh, and uh, one of the main voices is a trans actor. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Um, Scarab. Scarab, the main villain, like gets to do a lot of voice stretching, does really cool stuff. Oh, wow. I'm watching She-Ra with my kid and mm. there's a non-binary uh, oh. personality that does one of the characters who is a shapeshifter. Oh, that's nice. awesome. Yeah. But to your point, I feel like sequels are justified if someone has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the case of Fiona and Cake, they definitely have a story to tell. 100%. Yeah. And it's, it, it is always surprising. Mm-hmm. Like, and even, even when there's like, even like the surprises though, when you think about it for two seconds, you're like, of course. <laughs> of course they did that. It makes yeah. so much sense in world. But, you know, I think it does tie in again, like I said a little earlier, I think it does tie in really well with this because I think, you know, Okabe is making these choices that are changing the world. And there does come a crux point in Fiona and Cake where Fiona mm. has choices to make that are going to change worlds. And she's just like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, why should I make this choice for us? Mm-hmm. Your, but your choices change the world every day. Yeah. So take hold of them. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, this was tight. This was fantastic. Thank you both for uh, rallying for this emergency recording session. Our guest, who we really wanted to ha- have on, but I don't want to put on blast, the scheduling just did not work out, um, and we will want to have them on in the future. But, you know, it just didn't work out this time, and I'm glad that the two of you were able to step up. So thank you, Tanya. Yeah. Thank you, Blixa, for filling in for people. 
thanks alex for putting it together Aww. Can we can we throw shade at Ben for the inconvenience of having a baby? How dare he? A baby that he <laughs> did not tell us about until two minutes ago. Like, can you can you have scheduled that thing a little bit yeah. better? Mm-hmm. Come on. Uh, I got a text from another friend who was like, "Oh, I listened to your podcast. Uh, this is how I found out Ben was having a baby too." So, so we were Ben's baby announcement. Yeah, we're Ben's baby announcement to the world. <laughs> but I gotta compose myself. Yeah, yeah compose like, yourself and take us away. I was just thinking about all of us doing bed impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that to the guy. Okay, Ben, I love you. All right, here we go. Pen. Pen. Pals. Consent. Oh my gosh, we love it. <laughs>